How we doing, church? Man, that was some good worship, amen? Come on. Set the mood in here. Hey, um, really quick, before I, I jump into anything, we had originally scheduled our baptisms to be August 4th. And months ago, Abigail and I, my wife, we uh, had planned this trip to go basically watch my sister. We're going to be in Madison, Wisconsin, and we're not going to be here. And honestly, my heart is your pastor. Selfishly, I want to be here. Uh, <laughs> I want to be here for the baptisms. I want to be here for the baby dedications. So we're going to be pushing those off one Sunday to August 11th. Um, so we could be here. And I made some calls. If anyone was signed up, I made some calls to those people specifically. If you do want to get baptized, come on. If you haven't taken that step, uh, I, it's my heart that you would be baptized. Um, and you can see Abigail and I, there's a sign-up sheet at our welcome table. Um, but hey, we got a full house this morning. And uh, that makes my heart glad, man, to, to see this many people in church to worship the Lord. Maybe some of you don't know who I am. My name is Pastor Mark. I'm the campus pastor here. And um, like Duel said, like Pastor Duel said, that Connect card is, is important to us. It's like gold for me as a pastor. I, I get those every Sunday, every week. I, I look at those, and either I'll make a call or my wife will make a call, and it gives me the opportunity to connect with people who walk through our doors, and maybe I wouldn't have that opportunity, or maybe we just would have been in passing. And, um, you know, it's my heart as, as the pastor here to at least touch base with everybody once, you know. Um, and my heart isn't that you would just come and sit and worship and, and hear the word. And if you do, that's totally okay. But honestly, my heart is that you would get plugged in, uh, that you get involved, that you take part in what we're doing here. Maybe that, you, you know, you start showing up on a Wednesday night to help out at the youth group or you'd hold the door and shake somebody's hand. Amen. Pastor Duel says, see Pastor Duel after service. <laughs> uh, you know, or, or maybe you'd hold the door and shake some hands and, you know, get involved with what we're doing here. You know, it's not hard to look around and tell that God's moving in this place, and, and there's new and exciting things, greater things, amen? Greater things are happening in this place, and uh, we're excited for it. Hey, we're in this series titled Asking for a Friend. Was anybody here last week for the first week of our series, Asking for a Friend? Such an incredible week. If you weren't here, uh, we actually have a podcast now. Come on. Uh, that's a cool thing. So our, our Apple podcast, you can listen to every message that we do on a Sunday morning, but last week, we discussed the question... Why can we trust the Bible? And I don't know about you guys, but I learned something. <laughs> I learned something, putting it together. You know, it was good. Destiny Church, for those who may not know, we have two locations. We're one church. We have two locations. One's in Republic uh, and one's here in Marshfield. And, and normally the goal is to mirror each other. But for the month of July, Pastor Chad said, Mark, I want you to do your own series. I said, all right, you ain't got to tell me twice. I'm in. But I started thinking, man, what do I want to do? What, what do I want the series to be about? And, and as I got to thinking about it, um, you know, I, I came up with this series, Asking for a Friend. And, and kind of the whole premise of the series is discussing these taboo topics or these questions, trying to answer these questions that Christians are expected to know but don't, or it, things we've been told to do or things we've been told to believe but we're not sure why. Like maybe we have people sitting in the seats this morning and, and you know in church we get baptized, but you don't know why. Maybe you're sitting in these seats this morning and, and you know we take communion in church, you know that's a part of it. But if you were to explain why do we take that, maybe you wouldn't have an answer. 
And then there's other questions, you know, that we have as believers and, and, and that we get thrown our way and they cause us to, oh, I'm not really sure. Like, why do bad things happen to good people? So this series, I wanted to address some of these topics, some of these things. Um, and, and really, I wanted to do this series specifically for multiple reasons. One, I felt like it challenged me as your pastor and as your leader. Um, you know, when we do a series like this, you have to address some of the tough stuff, Right? It's just, it's just kind of part of it. But the second reason, more than anything, I wanted, I wanted to speak to my people, my sheep, my church, and I wanted to help you. I wanted to help increase your faith in the goodness of God based off what his word says. Okay, I feel like a lot of times in life we, we run from the tough stuff as Christians. And I want to raise up a disciple where we're a body where we don't run from the tough stuff. We take it head on. Amen. So, um, as I mentioned before, last week we talked about why do we believe the Bible. Are y'all a little anxious to figure out what we're talking about this week? Come on, tell the truth. Everyone's excited. I am too. A little nervous. Here it is. You're taking notes. title of my message is this. Why does God allow suffering? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we love you so much, and, and I pray right now. That your Holy Spirit would come on, come into this place and, and just crack open our hearts. Um, Father, as your word goes forth, I pray that we would walk out of here in courage. Um, that God, you're good and you're faithful. Regardless of circumstances and situations that are happening in our life, Father. I, I pray that this morning you'd help us to fix our focus on you. We love you, we praise you, and we ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Hey, I want to I want to open up uh, with a verse right away. It's found in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verses one through eight, and it says this: For everything, there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet, a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and time for peace. What we discover in this verse, y'all, is, is once we start following Jesus, everything gets better. It all turns to good seasons. Once we give our heart to the Lord, once we surrender our life, it's all good seasons from that point on, right? That's what it says, right? Wrong. I bet there's a lot of us in this room, we, we handed our hearts to Jesus a while ago. He's been holding our heart for a while. Yet there's still situations and circumstances in our lives that we haven't seen improve. We, we haven't seen the breakthrough. And, and you know, sometimes it may even can be frustrating as a believer. And if you hang around church long enough, you'll hear it. God is good. He's all powerful. He's faithful. The victory is won. Amen. Come on, praise the Lord. He never leaves us or forsakes us. But we get home and we flip on the television and all we can see is hate and crime and racism 
and division and gossip. We, we walk out of these four walls, we walk out of this church building, and we look around at our friends and family, and all we can see is divorce and cancer and addiction and depression, and it doesn't take long to be reminded we live in a world full of tragedy. There's suffering, y'all. There is. We can't deny it. Yet we as believers, the world looks at us and thinks, man, they still have the audacity to not only put their faith in this God, but to outwardly proclaim that he's good. The world around us looks at the world they're in and they ask themselves, if God's so good, why does so much suffering exist? And I think right away, Christians, our initial response is to be like, okay, well, let me explain it to you. There was Adam and Eve, and they were in the garden, and she bit the forbidden fruit, right? And then sin penetrated and polluted the creation. And they're looking, yeah, but God created them, (laughs) right? Why did he even make failure an option? Like like if God is all-powerful, omniscient, ruler over all, why does hell even exist? Why is sin still seemingly dominating the world that we live in? You know, maybe you even ask this. Why why doesn't everything get better when I give my life to Jesus, Pastor Mark? He's good. He's all-powerful. He should be able. Why is there still so much suffering going on? And if you're taking notes, I want you to write the answer because I brought the answer for you this morning. And I know a lot of you have probably been wondering this. And and I'm glad. I'm proud to give you the simple answer. And here it is. I don't know. Can I be honest? Can I be real as your pastor in this place? Now, I still got about 40 minutes of preaching, so we're going to address some things here. That's not it. Welcome to church. Be encouraged. But I don't know why God has allowed so much suffering. But hang with me, church. Here's what I know. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9, it says this. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Here's what I know. The Bible tells me that God has prepared a place for you and me in heaven where there will be no more sickness, there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering. Amen. It's good news. And I can confidently tell you that the only way there is through a relationship with Jesus. That's what the word tells me. Amen. And here's also what I know, and really this, this phrase here, if you're taking notes, I'd suggest you write this down. This phrase is basically the whole message summarized into a sentence, and it says this, in this life, in this life, a relationship with Jesus may not mean that everything immediately gets better. I know this isn't short and catchy and rhymes, but it's just, it's just kind of my heart cry. Just because we have a relationship with Jesus in this life doesn't mean everything immediately gets better. But a relationship with Jesus does mean everything gets purpose. Everything gets purpose. I want to share two definitions with you. Uh, the first one's prosperous. Definition of prosperous is this. Successful in material terms, even flourishing financially. And then we see the, perp- or, or the definition of purpose. And the definition of purpose is this, the reason for which something is done or created, the reason for which something exists. I think a lot of times as Christians, 
we can get frustrated when the Lord doesn't make us prosperous. When our situations are bad, when when our circumstances are bad, God, you have the ability. Why aren't you making every aspect of my life prosperous? You have the power to. I think we can get frustrated. You know, the Bible doesn't tell me that every part of my life is going to be prosperous, but, but what it does tell me, that every situation I go through, good or bad, it tells me that it has purpose. And here's the deal, church. I, I would much rather my life be full of purpose than prosperous. I don't need my life to be prosperous if I have a life that's full of purpose. And we can see this in, in, in people's lives where they have the world. You know, you know, through our eyes, they'd be prosperous. They have everything. But then we see these tragic endings. Maybe because there was this hole of, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I was created for or who I was created for. I would rather have my life full of purpose than prosperous. And I think we all desire that. I really do. But one, we're slowly deceived into believing that being prosperous will make everything better. If I could pay the bills, if I could have them back, if I could. Being prosperous will make it all better. And two, I think we're deceived into believing that life can have purpose apart from Jesus. If I just get this, if I just have this, if I just achieve this, if I can just become this, then my purpose will be fulfilled. You know, I had a conversation with a guy um, recently, honestly, one of my favorite conversations I've had in my life. So me and this dude, we kept running into each other over the weekend, and, you know, we got to the point where we had talked a little bit, kind of got to know each other, and, you know, we're just hanging out, and he goes, so, man, you're a pastor. He's like, that, that's cool. You enjoy it? I said, man, I love it, for real. It's like my favorite thing to do, <laughs> you know? I love being a pastor. I said, what about you, man? You go to church? You into the Jesus thing at all? And he said, you know, man, he goes, I grew up in the Mormon church, but, you know, I I stepped away from that, and and ever since, I just haven't really believed in anything. He goes, like, I I guess I'm cool with whatever happens to me when I die. And, you know, we both kind of, like, sat there and chuckled, like, you know, we kind of laughed, and I was like, okay, it's interesting. I said, hey, man, I, I said, hear my heart. I was like, I'm not trying to be rude. Uh, I'm not trying to overstep boundaries here. I said, but I know for me, for me personally, my relationship with Jesus helps me understand who I am, what I was created for, who I was created for. My relationship with Jesus gives everything I do purpose. So I said, you know, uh, and I said, you know, rest assured, I'm, I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything. I'm just curious to know, coming from your side, I said, what do you believe gives you purpose? What do you believe you were created for? And I remember looking at this dude, and I'll never forget the look on his face as he tried to search for a response and he couldn't think of anything. He goes, man, that's a good question. He goes, I never really thought about that. You know, and the funny thing is, this dude was prosperous, but 
prosperity can't outdo purpose. Amen? Prosperity can't outdo purpose. So I couldn't decide on which one of these verses I wanted to use, so I'm going to share both of them with you. And um, they're both good because I, I, I think they show that regardless of if situations and circumstances are good or bad in our life, they, they all hold purpose. So let's go ahead and read James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. You may be familiar with the verse, but it says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. What? What? Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Why would the Bible say, say to consider the bad times with joy? Why would, I, why would I do that? It says because your bad times, your trials have purpose. They're producing something. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Let's look at another verse. It's in Romans 5, 2 through 4. And it says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We, bo we boast in the good times. The Lord's been good. He's given me a church. He's given me an amazing wife. He gave me a 2002 Green Buick Century that just had, had some horsepower in it. I will glorify you, Lord. Come on. But, you know, boast about them in the good times. In the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Did I read that right? Glory in our sufferings? Why? Because good or bad, whatever's happening in our life holds great purpose. Because we know that suffering, it produces something in us. It's being used by God. We know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. We see very clearly in both of these verses that bad times await us. And we don't get a choice. Suffering is upon us. We don't choose our trials. We don't choose our suffering. But we also see when we're in Jesus... When we're in Jesus, our, our trials and our suffering, although not fun, are purposeful. There's purpose in them. They're shaping the very character of who we are. They're refining us into who God has intended and planned for us to become. I really believe that. I think many of us have experienced for ourselves, or, or we know someone who they experience trials and suffering, and they abandon God because of it. We've all probably known someone, maybe you've walked through a season yourself where it was like, this is too much. God, I, I don't know if I can believe you're good. I don't know if I can continue to serve this as I'm experiencing this. And, it, and it's in moments like this where I like to gently and gracefully and truthfully remind people of the disciples and the apostles and what their lives looked like. Because you have to remember, you know, we love Jesus in here. I, I know we're devoted to God and to the things of God. This is one of the most amazing groups of people I've ever met. But these disciples and apostles, nobody was more devoted 
to Jesus than them. We want to talk about why do bad things happen to good people. There probably were no better people than the disciples and apostles. Amen? Y'all know how they died? Anyone ever shared that with you? The glory of the Lord came down on a cloud and picked them right up. And nothing bad ever happened. No. One was crucified upside down. One was beheaded. One was thrown off a wall and clubbed to death. Another speared and impaled to death. Another was whipped to death. You know, 2 Timothy, somewhere it actually says, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Now, our persecution might look a little bit differently. We live in a country that's free. Some might get arrested. They come out trying to kill us for what we believe in. But in the workplace, I, I bet you've experienced your fair share of funny looks, sideways conversations. Our persecution might look a little different. But if these spiritual powerhouses experience tragedy and trials, church, I, I think we can expect the same to happen to us. So I want to make the claim that suffering exists because it produces something in us. It produces something in us. So what, what causes suffering? What causes suffering? Here's what I see in the scriptures. Our spiritual enemy, Satan, uses suffering really for, for three reasons. It says to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what our enemy uses it for. But I also see God utilizes our suffering to refine, rebuild to protect, and ultimately only for our good. I want to read right out of the Bible to you guys this morning, if that's all right. The Bible's good, isn't it? Anyone like reading the Bible? If you got your Bible, why don't you open up with me, because I'm going to be reading quite a bit here, Job chapter 1. I figured I'd just go ahead and read the whole chapter to you guys, because I think it's that good. God's words are better than my words anyways. Honestly, every Sunday I could stand up here and just read from this, and that would be sufficient. That would be enough. But let's read it here. Job chapter 1 says this. In the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons, three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys and had a large number of servants. The dude was wealthy. The verse goes on to say he was one of the greatest men, greatest men among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes and on their birthdays, they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them when they had a, and when they had a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. So we know Old Testament times, Job is, is expected to be one of the oldest books, if not the oldest book in the Bible, but we know that a sacrifice was needed for the remission of sins, right? So, so the verse goes on to say this, he, Job would recognize that, you know, you know, my kids have been acting up a little, maybe they need to be purified, amen? He, so he, and all the parents said, amen, I, I probably need to make some sacrifices for my kids. It says early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular tradition. Not only was he wealthy and prosperous, 
but he was a man of God. He had big time faith. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming the earth, going back and forth on it. That's my Satan voice. (laughs) The Bible can be fun, y'all. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth. He is blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you, have you put a hedge around him in his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. Satan says, yeah, I I know Job's faithful, but it's only because you've done good stuff for him. It's not because he's in love with you. It's not because he's actually faithful. You've just never given him any experiences to doubt you. Let's go on. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your power, and put on the man him, but but on the man himself. Do not lay a lay a finger. So, okay, we see God give Satan permission. You can blast any part of his life you want, but do not touch the man himself. Anything else though is in your power. Do whatever you want. Crazy. So one day, so so here's where the story kind of gets crazy here. So one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabines attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Remember, he had a a, a lot of servants, right? So here we see the loss beginning to happen in Job's life. But then it goes on, it says, while he was still speaking, while he's still hearing this tragic news, another messenger comes. He said this, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and the only one who has, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he's getting bad news, more bad news is coming. More loss. While he was still speaking, another messenger came from the Chaldeans, formed three raiding, and he said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. More loss. He hasn't even finished the first two conversations. More tragedy. More suffering. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And the only one who escaped to tell you is me. Complete and total loss, total suffering. A moment where where Job has every right to say, God, you've abandoned me. I'm done with you. There's no way you're good. There's no way you're faithful. 
and I love this in chapter one. Here's how here's Job's initial response. I, I, church, I think we got something to learn here. It says this. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, then he fell to the ground in worship. In worship. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Church, I want to ask you this. Maybe write this down in your notes. How, how do you persevere? How do you endure when life comes at you fast? I want to read a little bit more here. Moving on into chapter 2. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. A man who fears God and he shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Satan says, all right, God, skin for skin. Let me hurt him. Let me hurt him. Let me bruise his body. Let me bring disease on him. Let me hurt him. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face and die. And God's response, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands, but you can't kill him. You must spare his life. Do whatever you want, but you can't kill him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with these painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. It's an encouraging story this morning, isn't it? Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. And Job has a conversation with his wife. And really, I feel like this wife a lot of times represents us, right? Are you still maintaining your integrity? Do you still go to church and raise your hands and praise God even though I'm going through this? Even though I experience this? Are you still going to say he's faithful? Are you still going to say he's omniscient and all-powerful? His wife says, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And I love Job's response. I wouldn't say it to my wife quite like this, but he replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Don't blaspheme my God. Don't tell me to curse my God and, and die. I know my God. I have real faith in my God. It doesn't matter my situation or my circumstance. He's good. He's faithful. He's able. He's working it together for my good. Right? He didn't say it just like that. But he said, shall we accept good from God? And not trouble. And in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Kim, you can come back up on the keys here. Um, 
So Job is 42 chapters. Those are the first two chapters there. And, and we see Job's initial responses, and, and he sounds bold, and he sounds confident, and he, and he sounds like he's got all the faith in the world, but it's not long before Job falls apart. And there's about 42, there, about, there is 42 chapters in Job, and about 85% of those chapters are Job being frustrated with God. But before that, right after this, right after this conversation with his wife, his, his friends come, and Job's silent for seven days and for seven nights. And eventually he breaks his silence, and then his friends, who should really be there to console him, to encourage him, to love on him, to pray with him at the altar, right? To, to bring him to church, to help him raise up his hands. And in his greatest time of need, in his greatest time of hurt, because he, he's going through suffering, he's going through tragedy, he's going through loss. They start to say, Job, if you weren't so sinful, this wouldn't have happened to you. If you would have done better, this wouldn't have happened to you. And, and they start to blame him. But we see, no, no, it, it, Job was upright. And it's like in, in his most broken moment, his, his friends just continue to just blame him, condemn him, discourage him. Job, you need to get it. To, you need to get it together. You need to stop being so sinful. You need to stop making such bad decisions. You know, I wanted to pick a verse to kind of highlight Job's agony, so we could see where he's at. So in verse 7, I took a little snippet of Job's conversation with God. And it looks like this. Job 7, verses 11 through 16. He says, I cannot keep from speaking. I must express my anguish. My bitter soul must complain. Am I a sea monster or a dragon that you must place me under guard? I think my bed will comfort me. It, and sleep will ease my misery but then you shatter me with dreams and terrify me with visions I would rather be strangled I'd rather die than suffer like this I hate my life and I don't want to go on living oh leave me alone for my few remaining days and about 80% of the chapter is, is Job talking to God like this Job being real with God like this, sharing his heart like this. And I think there's a message in here that God doesn't forsake us when we get real with him. God doesn't forsake us when we get vulnerable with him. And, and even after chapters of complaining, chapters of, uh, of, uh, of, of blaming, of of I'm practically cursing God here. We see God remind Job who God is. And although God's saying this to Job, like in this verse, I really believe the Lord is whispering this to some of us this morning. Some of us need to hear this from the Lord this morning. Because maybe we found ourselves here. God, how can you be good? God, how can I love you? How can you be faithful? So although God's whispering this to Job, let's close our eyes for a second. I want, I want to read this verse over you. 
Lord approaches Job and he, and he says this. And I get emotional thinking about it because, you know, I've gone through suffering too and I've had struggles too and I've lost people too. I've had frustrations and I've blamed God at times. God says this to Job, he says in Job 38, he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying lines? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth? to bring an end to the night's wickedness as the light approaches. The earth takes shape in the clay pressed beneath the seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. You can open your eyes. This is a monologue from God. And it continues from verse 38 all the way to chapter 42. And when God gets done addressing Job, Job's only response is, God, I know you can do all things. I know you can do all things. And I, I spoke of things I did not understand. And I repent. I'm sorry. We see Job here saying, God, I, I don't understand. I, I admit it to y'all. I don't know. I, I don't have all the answers as your pastor this morning. I'm sorry. But what I do know is that we can trust him. And, and we see, and really what we're seeing Job say here is, is God, even though I don't understand, I trust you. I trust you. And after Job repents, God uses, uh, you know, God was actually infuriated with Job's friends. And he said, I want Job to pray over you. He's talking about his friends. Basically, so my wrath doesn't come upon them for their disobedience, for not being there for you, for, not, for, for, for teaching wrongly about me. So out of this dark time, you know what? God has developed Job to be a man whose prayers are powerful and effective, a righteous man. And Job lays his hands on his friends. He, he prays for them and blesses them. And then at the end of the story, God even restores everything Job lost. The Bible actually says that Job's life was more blessed than the later part. It was more blessed now than it was before. And according to Romans 5, our, our suffering produces perseverance. Our suffering produces perseverance. So the question comes, how do you persevere, church? How do you persevere? You know, I think about Job, and 
even though he was complaining, even though he was real and he was vulnerable, he was still in conversation and community with God. And however we choose to persevere in this life is ultimately going to develop and establish our character. I want you to write this down. We don't always choose our trials. We don't always choose our suffering. But we do choose how we persevere. We do choose how we endure. Are you, are you going to endure through him? I, I want to remind you of what was said in Job chapter 1. After this great loss, after he loses everything, Job stood up, he tore his robe in grief, then he shaved his head and fell to the ground and he worshipped. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. said the Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away it was never mine it was never mine the Lord has gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away praise the name of the Lord so church even though we may not fully understand our suffering will we trust that the God we serve is in control of it all that it's not outside of his grasp, that his ways are higher than our ways. Can we trust Romans 8.28 when it says, I'm working all things together for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose. And, and regardless, even if, even if you know, and, and don't get it twisted, you know, I, I can't take hours and hours to address every top of this, but I believe in healing. I believe in breakthrough. I believe God can intervene and with the touch of his finger radically change and transform. And, and, and I believe he can. But it's very obvious that that just doesn't happen all the time. At least it hasn't in my life. If it hasn't yours, teach me what you're doing. Or maybe there's times where I need to trust that, that God is in control. And even though, you know, I may not fully understand his, his thoughts are not like my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. And, 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 and here's the great hope that even though in this life that some of that suffering will still exist some of those trials I'll still have to face and deal with I know there's a day there's a day where it's all going to be gone so yes God is good yes God is faithful yes he's all powerful he never leaves us or forsakes us and you know why that day exists because of the gospel and if you've never heard the gospel church here's the gospel sinful broken unfit for heaven and God in his great love he sends his own son Jesus to earth to live a perfect life and we talked about how there needed to be a sacrifice for the remission of sins we see Job doing it for his own kids so their sins can be washed away well God says you know what I'll make the ultimate sacrifice I'll send my son and what happens is Jesus comes he lives this perfect life sinless he dies on a cross he gives up himself but you know what he did in that he exchanged his perfectness he exchanged who he was, his position in, in heaven. He gave that to us. He took on our sin. So I can, put my, I can put my heart and my life in Jesus. 
in John 14, 6, says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through Jesus. He made a way. So even though I still got some brokenness I'm taking with, some brokenness that I'm living with, I can, I can rest assured that a day is coming where I'll be with God forever and I'll have a new body and I'll be made entirely new and until then I'm trying, you know, with the help of God's Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus every day. But you know what? We've all fallen short of the glory. So praise God for the cross because Jesus took it on for us.